Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of uh, the Being Borderless podcast. Thank you for being with me and with my guest today and giving us your valuable time. Uh, today I have a very special guest who actually reached out on LinkedIn and I was very surprised and I'm grateful that she's giving me her time today and she's she's from Italy originally. She used to play in the national volleyball team in Italy and from there she kind of transitioned into researching AI, machine learning, and NLP. And she was just a few, I guess, days before she ended her research at Cambridge University. Hey, Katerina, how are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you for a very nice introduction. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> and yeah, I do have a, an eccentric background, and I'm very happy to be talking about this with you today. Yeah, I'm very happy that you're here. I think a lot of people would be interested in what it feels like being a woman in, I would say, researching uh, AI and machine learning in academia. And then I believe now you're transitioning into I am, the again. industry. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a never-changing being. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, as, as you said before, I... I started my adult life as a professional volleyball player that was back in Italy. And then I decided that I wanted a change because I really wanted to study. And at the time, I decided mm -hmm. to study linguistics, theoretical linguistics to be okay. precise. And so, yeah, so, you know, I went to university. And after that, I was very lucky because I won a grant to do a PhD in Geneva. Okay. And so I was a researcher in theoretical linguistics for um, seven years in total, first at the University of Geneva oh, wow. and then at the University of Cambridge. And so all those were fantastic experiences. But as you know, um, there is, you know, there are so, so many exciting things happening yeah. in the field of AI in general and, you know, natural language processing, mm -hmm. which is what I'm really interested in because it kind of, you know, it's it's the link between artificial intelligence and what my education was. So, you know, um, linguistics. And, you know, I just one and a half year ago, I decided that I was ready for another change. And so I retrained okay. to be able to move to AI and I'm about to do it. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. It I mean, is. that's a, that's quite a interesting journey, I would put it. Could you, I think people would be interested to know how, like how you or where you grew up in Italy, what led you to kind of choose to play volleyball? And then why did you decide to leave? And how did that whole experience shape you into who you are today? Um, okay, I'll, I'll start from why I, why I decided to play volleyball. I don't think that I decided to play volleyball. I think that uh, <laughs> volleyball chose me. Um, okay. So one thing that you cannot see because, you know, I'm behind a screen and, you know, we're sitting is that I'm very tall. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm six foot three. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Which means that, you know, when those um, volleyball uh, teams went to the schools, you know, that's something that they do just to see whether there are some talents yeah. in the schools. You know, they do that for football, they do that for volleyball. And of course, when they see people as tall as me, they're like, yep, you're going to play with us. You're going to like volleyball, <laughs> believe me. Um, and so basically, it started like that for me, like just being, you know, noticed by someone and not even knowing what the, you know, sport was about, really. And yeah. then I just, I just liked it. And, you know, little by little, you know, I, I, I started playing professionally and I, I was already yeah. doing, so I was, um, I was playing what is the uh, Serie B, which is like the second league uh, when I was okay. in high school already. Um, and then, and then I moved to the Serie A, which is the first league when I, mm -hmm. you know, when I left, um, when I finished high school. Um, and so, yeah, so it was, it was not really something that I chose for me uh, at the beginning, but then it was a great experience and it was something that, um, uh, gave me this first uh, taste of, um, you know, borderlessness that we're interested mm -hmm. in, in the sense that I grew up in a very uh, rural kind of uh, setting uh, back in Italy, mm -hmm. where, you know, 
everyone speaks uh, Italian and everyone speaks, you know, the dialect from our region. Mm-hmm. And there are almost no foreigners. I mean, this, there are starting to be now. But when I was growing up, there were almost known. It was almost, you know, weird to be someone from 50 kilometers away that moved, you know, to the villages. It was kind <laughs> of exotic, you know. Um, so um, I never felt really well in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. I felt that I, I was always striving for more. Uh, um, for many years, I thought that I was wrong in a way, you know, like, uh, why is everyone mm-hmm. happy here? And I'm not, you know, I, I, did, I couldn't mm-hmm. really understand what it was about. And, and really volleyball gave me a first taste of that because Mm-hmm. I was playing for teams and, you know, there were many girls from different parts of Italy and then different countries in the world. And, you mm-hmm. know, they were speaking different languages and um, and that was just so exciting for me. And I've never stopped being excited about those things. You know, I'm still, I still mm-hmm. am many years later. And so that was what made me, for the first time, uh, thanks to volleyball, I felt like I, I, I belonged and I was really happy to be in a kind of multicultural uh, environment, mm-hmm. you know. And and that's when I understood that I didn't want to stay, you know, where I where I was. Uh, mm-hmm. And I wanted to travel. I wanted to, uh, you know, live abroad. And I have this mantra, like, um, I am not a tree. Therefore, when I'm not happy, I move. You know, I have this... <laughs> This ability mm-hmm. to move, That's I don't have cool. those roots that just, you know, keep me where I am. Mm-hmm. So since I'm not a tree, when I'm not happy, I move. And and that's okay. where it is. Okay, I, I started, um, I, I left volleyball behind. I knew that I wanted to study and I knew that I, I was ready to move abroad. And my first experience okay. abroad was super excited, exciting. I, I won a grant. Uh, to do an Erasmus uh, change mm-hmm. uh, exchange, and uh, I went to Paris in France. So Paris oh, wow. was this kind of, you know, very romantic and you know, <laughs> amazing kind of place. And also, you know, coming from a um, very rural setting, you know, I had never yeah. seen a city that big. You know, yes, maybe yeah. you know, just because I was, you know, as a tourist, but not never lived in that kind of yeah. place. And so it was like a very exciting and very scary, um, especially mm-hmm. because I went there as someone who almost didn't have any money. <laughs> so, okay. you know, um, it, it was not That's the a kind of, life. <laughs> yeah, but it's not because sometimes, you know, people think I really like this. A lot of people, I see people on Instagram, like young people talking about life in Paris, you know, and stuff like that. And I really enjoy it and I'm very happy for them. But Paris didn't look like that for all of us. And yeah. uh, for me, it was um, a lot of babysitting. I would babysit 25 to 30 hours a, a week uh, to, oh my you know, to be able to... Uh, to be able to pay for my expenses and also babysitting was uh, amazing because I would do that in the evening, which meant mm-hmm. that I, you know, I was able to have dinner uh, with the children. So I didn't have to pay for my food in the evening. It was amazing, really. Wow. Um, but yeah, so when, when I see this kind of, you know, um, glamour uh, accounts on life in Paris as a student, I'm like, uh, wait a second. <laughs> I should have an account where I show you what it can be for... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I feel like a lot, a lot of these accounts are. There's like it's a bit suspicious. Something, yeah. something else is up there as well. Like, how are you affording all of this? Being yeah, a but because you know, well, some you people know? have come from very wealthy backgrounds, yeah. and I'm very happy yeah. for them. You know, but when I see, yeah. so there's this girl. Um, I think the account is uh, it's Mandy Cherry or something like that, and mm-hmm. she's really cute honestly and she has all of these pictures like in front of the eiffel tower and yeah. you know doing amazing things in bars that i know like today as a professional i would not be able to afford on a regular basis if you know what i mean yeah. and so so imagine that as a student and she has all yeah. of these pictures and i think that in like in her whole account she must have like 30 different coats and i'm like oh wow ah, ah, <laughs> 
how is that possible? I had one for three <laughs> years and, you know, it was black, so it would go for, with everything. And I was very happy. So I find it um, I'm very, um, I find it really amusing. I love it, you know, yeah. and because experiences can be so different. And still, you know, I was mm-hmm. very lucky because I managed to do everything that I wanted. I managed to juggle, you know, my studies, um, this you know a lot of hours of work that I had to do to be able to afford everything basically and then I had amazing friends I made Mm -hmm. amazing connections that you know have lasted Uh, they're still there those friends even though those Mm -hmm. that you know I don't talk too often but they're there Mm -hmm. they're still because you know when you share something so uh, you know it was really emotional for us to be there and we were very Mm -hmm. happy and and very very committed to what we were doing and and yeah it's it's just it, it's it's an amazing feeling and and experience and i loved it mm-hmm. and so after paris after paris, you were there for how long uh i was in paris two years then i went okay. back to venice um okay. for my uh um, for my master's degree but then okay. I, I, I lived in Paris, uh, no, you know, sorry, I lived in Venice, not back uh, home with mm-hmm. my parents. So it was a different setting again. And, uh, and then I moved back to Paris two additional years uh, when I was done okay. with my master's. Mm-hmm. And I thought that Paris was going to be my forever home. Um, okay. But then there was this um, opportunity to do a PhD uh, at the University of Geneva. Okay. Um, the um, the director was someone uh, Urshlonsky. He's um, very famous in the you know theory- theoretical linguistics community, mm-hmm. and so I just thought that you know that was an amazing amazing opportunity for me. And you know I just left Paris. <laughs> I was I was ready. You know when you tell me, oh Katrina, do you want to go there? There's a nice opportunity, and it's in a new country. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> always ready <laughs> um and so and so yeah so i i basically i basically went to geneva for four years um mm-hmm. where i um i did my phd okay. and it was again an amazing experience uh, i met a lot of friends from uh, everywhere uh, a thing that i uh, something that i always say about geneva uh is that um in four years so it's it's so multicultural that in in four years I only got to know two Swiss people, and oh, wow. uh, and one of them uh, is actually from Hungary originally, and she was mm-hmm. the daughter of asylum seekers, and she, okay. so she came to Geneva when she was extremely young, and then you know she mm-hmm. she, she considers herself uh, Swiss and she has a nationality yeah. and everything. But in reality, she's not from there. And, and you know, mm-hmm. it's so multicultural that these are the only two Swiss people that I, I managed to, you know, <laughs> become friends with. All, all the others were from everywhere, really. So it was, mm-hmm. it was an amazing experience again. And, and in Geneva, I think we've already, we've already discussed this, uh, you and I, but my, my life changed quite a lot because my, mm-hmm. um, my first marriage ended um, okay. I had my daughter, so I became a mother during my PhD, and so those mm-hmm. were amazing, uh, amazing years, really. <laughs> yeah. And then, okay. then maybe you want to know about after that, <laughs> what happened? I, I think I, I before going forward, I because you, I, I feel you went through quite significant changes, uh, like leaving your hometown. Even though it, it's something that you didn't want, I feel like change in essence is demanding of us as a person. Mm. So you left your hometown, you were traveling with the volleyball team, and then you were in, uh, you went to Paris for four years, you went back to Venice, and then you were in Geneva. So I would just, during these time periods, also you went through a lot of personal changes. Uh, some of them could be hard and some were nice. So what during this time, like I would, re- I think people would also want to know is what is your opinion on uh, failures, how to overcome them, about grit, about persistence? Um, well, uh, you know, I, I consider myself a, a, a brave person. 
So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm scared of silly things and I'm not scared of very big changes that, you know, most of the population would be, you mm-hmm. know, terrified at. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm brave. That is a characteristic that I think I can, you know, I can mm-hmm. label myself with that. Okay. And then I'm also very resilient. And I've always, um, everything I've done in my life uh, was to um, make my uh, current situation better. I wanted to mm-hmm. improve life for me. I wanted to make sure that, you know, at some point uh, in my life, I would be able to, I don't know, afford a home, uh, be able to have children and pay for everything for them. So mm-hmm. I've always worked hard uh, mm-hmm. with that in mind, knowing what I wanted, even though, you know, I'm not, you know, we say that not all those that wonder are, are lost, right? Are lost. Um, I was never lost. I knew where I was going. Okay. I knew that I was working hard to 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 make my future uh, better. I know that I was, you know, staying up at night to study. And I've always wanted to believe that all of that, even though it was exhausting, it really was, was something that I was doing for my future self and for the future family, mm-hmm. you know, that I would have. Because I knew that I wanted a family and I knew that I was mm-hmm. <clears throat> going to be able to have one at some point. And so... And so I would say that um, even in my struggles, uh, even when the times were hard and I went, I, I, I went through a lot of hard times and an especially difficult time for me was when, you know, I found myself uh, alone with this uh, newborn baby uh, that mm-hmm. I absolutely adored. But it was my, you know, first experience uh, taking care of a child of my own. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. there was no um, no no help whatsoever because I was uh, 700 kilometers away from my mother. And so, yeah, of course, that was uh, that was very difficult. But I knew that everything that I was doing at the time was for myself and especially for her. And so, you know, I think that that's, that is something that helped a lot. So my, my mm-hmm. answer to your question would be that purpose in life. Uh, mm-hmm. is what is what, what's most important uh the moment you know you figure out who you are and you figure out what your purpose is uh in mm-hmm. life you know i think that everything becomes easier e- even your struggles because you you might not like where you are but you know mm-hmm. where you're going right and and that that can give you a lot of strength uh, to overcome a lot of you know different moments and you know passages that are absolutely normal in life because mm-hmm. everyone has struggles even those who consider themselves to have you know like a very easy life but there are there are struggles every day you know um, mm-hmm. and so I really think that finding uh, purpose in life is what makes everything easier. How do you find purpose in life? How did I find? So I needed to find myself before, mm-hmm. and uh, to find myself, I had to, I had to follow what I knew I wanted, even though it was um, different from what the other people wanted and not always mm-hmm. understood. Um, and because you know where I come from, like most of my uh, childhood friends. Um, just you know they they found a job quite early um they they found themselves um a partner very early again like in the mm-hmm. teenage years uh they went on to marry that person buy a house probably in their 20s and then mm-hmm. you know late 20s they started having children like you know the very kind of regular path um that I I knew I I didn't really want for myself. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. different things. I want I wanted to be um, I wanted to be a successful professional. Mm-hmm. I wanted many things. So first, to find myself, I had to put everything in place mm-hmm. uh, to start feeling that I was really going the right direction. So I mm-hmm. think that a pivotal moment for me was uh, when I stopped play volleyball playing volleyball and I started studying because those university studies for me were, you know, what was 
going to give me the opportunity later in life, you know, to be a su- successful mm-hmm. working woman as I wanted to be. So that was the first thing I had to find myself. And then my, my real purpose in life um, came with having children. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I, I, I always knew that I wanted that. I mean, I'm the kind of girl who knows she wants chil- children when she's mm-hmm. probably three. I've, I've always, oh, wow. I've always said that I wanted children. I've always had this crazy maternal instinct. Instinct, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I actually thought that I would have children before I turned twenty, which I'm grateful okay. I didn't, you know. But it's just to tell you, um, I really had this. I really want children, and mm-hmm. and I, I'm, I ha- I'm happy I waited, and I had my first daughter when I was 30 and then my son um, at, yeah, right after I, th- I turned uh, 34. And I think that was a mm-hmm. perfect timing for me, but I, I really think that they uh, completed myself um, mm-hmm. in, in really in the way that I thought they would. And they gave me uh, a purpose now, you know, because everything I do, I mean, I, I do a lot for myself. I don't work uh, just mm-hmm. for my children. I work because I love working. And this is something that I always say, like if, if my husband was extremely wealthy, I would still mm-hmm. be doing the, the work that I'm doing, the mm-hmm. job, you know, because I like what I do. So it's not mm-hmm. just about, you know, being able to give them things and make sure that they yeah. fu- their future will be bright. But it, it, it's a mixture of the two. But I really feel, you know, that what I'm doing is important, especially mm-hmm. because it helps, you know, pay the bill save money for the future and, you know, pay mm-hmm. for what they like. And so, so yeah, I think that they, they really helped me find my final purpose in life. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I, I haven't met many people who were so clear on what they wanted from the beginning. So I guess it, I believe it definitely does help because a lot of people that I know of, Maybe including myself, it's still like it's it's a search in progress. So you're moving from one thing to the next, and then you're still figuring out. Yeah, but what you know, exactly Musa, you want to uh, do. knowing what you want uh, is a blessing, but it's a curse as well. Uh, because mm-hmm. because I must say that I this is something that I say all the time. I didn't feel really fulfilled in life until until I had my daughter in my hands. Mm-hmm. Because for me, life before my children was a search. You know, I was I was always doing my thing, but mm-hmm. doing it with in mind. You know, I had the fact that I had to find myself mm-hmm. a companion, and I had to find to have a child. And that you know, I I cannot I couldn't wait until I was fifty. So that I, that had to be done with you know like a kind of good timing. So mm-hmm. so there was. Maybe you feel a bit lost because you don't know exactly what you want. But since I knew that having children was always what I wanted to have, uh, there was a lot of frustration on my path. Because mm-hmm. until I, I had my daughter, I, I felt like I was not complete. So, you mm-hmm. know, again, it's not, it's not all, uh, you know, it's not all roses and butterflies. There is also the fact that you might feel bad about wanting something and not being able to have it for years you know so mm-hmm. yeah i i guess also it's it's a process and to be to reach that place you need to become someone that you might not be in the present moment uh, yeah exactly exactly you have to be open to a lot of things so yeah yeah so after your uh, phd in geneva how did your journey shape to where you are today Okay, so um, when I did my, when I was doing my PhD, things were going very well. And mm-hmm. uh, for me, like, you know, from an academic point of view, so I, I really thought that at that time, I thought that the academic um, career uh, was the right one for me. And so mm-hmm. I, I, there, was, there were no uh, postdoctoral positions uh, available in Geneva at the moment. And so I started, okay. you know, applying for grants and you know positions that be everywhere we were uh very happy to move at the time so i had already 
met the guy who was going to become my current husband. Yeah. Uh, and so we were together and he was um, very happy to move. And so we just, I just, um, you know, applied for grants everywhere. And we were just, you know, just waiting to know where we would go next. Mm-hmm. And that was Cambridge. Um, so I won okay. this scholarship from the Swiss National Science Foundation, which was a kind mm-hmm. of, so it was a Swiss uh, grant uh, mm-hmm. a mobility grant. So I was I had this grant from Switzerland that was giving me the possibility to go study and do research in a different mm-hmm. institution. It had to be an institution outside of Switzerland. And so okay. I chose Cambridge because um, Adam Ledgeway, so my director here, is a phenomenal uh, linguist and person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, it's, it's a world-class institution, and it's always among uh, the best uh, in the rankings for linguistics. So you know, it's it's mm-hmm. a dream. It's really a dream, um, dream mm-hmm. university when you're a linguist. And so yeah, so I won the grant. We were very excited. I had just defended my dissertation, and you know, we took everything that we had, put put that everything in a truck, and we drove to Cambridge <laughs> um, from Switzerland. Uh, from Switzerland, yeah, that was a long. So we were we were uh, cu- um, quite lucky because my f- uh, family-in-law um, live um, in Belgium, and so okay. we could stop at their house for the night, mm-hmm. and then we so we did it in two uh, big days of you know of driving. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so we came here, and and we've been here since August twenty nineteen. So it's it's been three and a half years now and mm-hmm. yeah yeah so that's how we got here <laughs> okay and how did you move from linguistics to researching and working towards machine learning and ai and tech mm, yeah so um one and a half year ago um i became a bit disenchanted uh with academia in the okay. sense that i mm, i realized that so I, I I didn't really like the kind of research that I was doing, even though, you know, I was extremely grateful to be able to do it. But um, in linguistics, we work with a lot with small data. Uh, we face a lot of problem uh, problems due to scarcity of data, you know. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's it was it was not really what I wanted to do forever. And I realized that. And and also there was another uh, pivotal uh, moments in my life at that point. Mm-hmm. I applied for a permanent position as a um, mm-hmm. lecturer in linguistics uh, at the University of Manchester. And mm-hmm. I, I, so what I was told is that there were 600 of us, uh, you know, candidates okay. applying for that position. And so I told myself, you know what, uh, you're going to face like 10, 12 more, more years of you know, going everywhere, having mm-hmm. two-year uh, scholarships. And my daughter was starting school, so it didn't mm-hmm. feel right. And and so, you know, when you, when you realize that something is not right for you anymore, you, 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 have, to, you have to figure out what to do next, right? Mm-hmm. I, was not, I was not yet sure at the time. And so I started thinking, like, what can I do? with a PhD in linguistics that I'm really going to enjoy, what can give me a nice career in something, you know, that mm-hmm. I'm excited about, because I'm, I, that is something I'm, I'm very scared of being bored and I'm easily bored, mm-hmm. okay? So uh, I need something that challenges me. I need uh, tight deadlines. You know, I'm one of these crazy people. Um, <laughs> Um, and so what, what I did was, you know, looking at the job market and trying to find out what would be right for me. And that's how I, I came across. I mean, I, I knew, of course, of natural language processing. I had done you mm-hmm. know, um, exams in computational linguistics when I was, you know, when I was a student. So I knew about I knew, I knew a lot about that, um, you know, that field, but not really, you know, what was being done in industry because I knew the mm-hmm. academic side of it. And so when I started, you know, researching what was being done in industry, uh, mm-hmm. I just got more and more excited. And, and, and I, I started telling myself, but th- this is what you want to do. 
and 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 so and yeah, so that's how I decided to retrain. I okay. because I, I you know I had, of course I had the ling- language knowledge part, mm-hmm. but I knew that if I wanted to be a natural language processing you know engineer or you know a professional mm-hmm. in the field, I was going to need uh, you know strong Python skills, and mm-hmm. I was going to need machine learning. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, so I did, what I did was training basically that were uh, project based mm-hmm. and, and those, those were really good because they really gave me the opportunity to, you know, like gain uh, hands-on experience and work on like, on, you know, industry grade uh, projects mm-hmm. that, you know, that, you know, let me, gave me the opportunity to, 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 to build a very nice uh, portfolio of you know projects that i can showcase to you know to industry to those to those people and try to try to convince them you know to have me and and yeah because if i'm honest when i when i started retraining um i knew that it was a challenge uh i knew that i was taking a bet because if you if you look at the job advertisements for uh you know um jobs in natural language processing mm-hmm. most of them want people from computer science or from machine mm-hmm. learning from mathematics yeah. you know no, no one says oh we would love a linguist you know no, yeah. it's never there um but i really think that you know it makes a lot of sense to have someone that has you know knowledge of natural languages you know in a team that works mm-hmm. on natural languages, on, you know, generation of languages. So I just told myself, you know, you will be all right. Don't worry, just do this and then we will figure things out. And when it was time, you know, to start applying, when it was almost time, time I started looking at job advertisements and, uh, again. And what I did basically was not just send my CV because mm-hmm. when you send a CV for a machine learning position, they see that you have degrees in theoretical linguistics. They go, you know, they go mm-hmm. through a recruiter. That person is going to receive a hundred um, CVs, and when they see that you are from linguistics, they're just going to, you mm-hmm. know, throw your CV in the bin because they're going to have, you know, a lot of candidates from machine learning, so they don't really care about you. And so what I did was reach out to people directly. You know, I would reach out to the hiring managers. Um, I would talk to, you know, people from the company and I would go like, oh, you know, I'm, so I'm, I'm a researcher in theoretical linguistics mm-hmm. at the University of Cambridge. I have been retraining. I have worked on this, that and that. I have, you know, taken part in open source projects. And um, do you think you might be interested in someone with my background? And the truth is that, you know, probably... 70% of, of, of the times that they were, and they were actually very excited about having someone, you know, with knowledge of human language. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so that was amazing. And, and yeah, basically that's, that's how I did it, how I retrained. And, and now I'm just, I'm ready for, you know, for my next move. <laughs> and are you working in a specific application of NLP or it's just broadly everything? Oh, so um. I'm, I've worked on a lot now because I wanted to, you know, gain um, valuable experience and also try to figure out what I really wanted and what I really liked. Because you know, one, once you start working on things, you mm-hmm. you can you realize whether you really like them or not. So I have worked on. I have worked on basically AI for good. Uh, projects. Okay. That's something that I'm really interested in. So I have worked on um, the development of applications um, to uh, detect and stop hate online, like you know, okay. cyberbullying, um, mm-hmm. child grooming. Those are um, those are you know mm, how do you say that um, causes? Sorry, those are causes mm-hmm. that are really care about and so and so i i I was able to gain experience in natural language processing Mm -hmm. and work on something that i really wanted to develop you know at the same time so those two experiences were phenomenal 
And then I have mm-hmm. also worked on chatbots. You know, chatbots are okay. all the hype now, right? <laughs> Everyone mm-hmm. is talking about chatbots, and and I must say that um, it's um, it's a kind it's a technology that I really enjoy, and I yeah, I'm, I am I'm, I'm, maybe it's my favorite part. If I if I were to say what is the favorite your favorite thing. To, to develop, you know, in the field of natural language processing for now, it would probably be chatbots. So, so it's predictive text, pretty much, or no? Um, yeah, yeah, we have, you know, there's there's so much into the um, okay. development of a chatbot and um, everything, really. I like it. I like it all. I, li- I like even, you know, the parts where you do, like, you know, um, uh, conversational AI design, mm-hmm. and, uh, working with, you know, Core Raza, uh, Google Dialogflow, mm-hmm. um, I like it all. And it's just about, really, okay. you know, the, the technology, I, f- I find it really exciting. And it's so good, you know, to start from uh, collecting your own data, then you clean it, uh, you, you, you analyze it, you, uh-huh. you fine tune a model of your choice using that data. And then you, you take care of the conversational flow and you create the little, you know, like a streamlit uh, application to be able, you know, like an interface to use it. And, and there you go. All of a sudden you're, you know, you're talking to an application that you made, you know, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. when I was, when I was younger, I didn't even think that we would be able to talk to computers, computers at some point. I had this idea, you know, because of robots, yeah. Uh, but I really, I never really thought about, you know, yeah, one day I'd be just, I'd be able to chat with a computer, talk to it. And so I find mm-hmm. it, I feel like, like I'm really living in the future, you know, <laughs> so I find it super exciting. So how do you see the progression of this technology? Like right now we have, uh, probably you have used chat GPT-3, chat GPT, and then there's, I've heard that GPT-4 is coming as well. Yeah, um, <laughs> everyone is excited about that, right? <clears throat> so yeah, so yeah, so now there are these um, l- large language models, right? It's the yeah. it's the sexiest technology out there at the moment, and um, you know, um, there are there are plenty really. There's not just Chat GPT three. Um, there, there are many yeah. others. You know, from um, you have uh, Lambda from Google. You have yeah. uh, Galactica from Meta. Many more. Uh, the idea mm-hmm. is that you, you, a, lang- a language model typically becomes large when it contains more than a uh, hundred uh, billion parameters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I do not. Do, are you familiar with uh, with large language models? Well, b- basically, I'm just going to tell in case those who listen to this don't know about parameters. Yeah. Um, the parameters are like parts of a model um, that are uh, learned from uh, historical uh, training data, and essentially mm-hmm. um, they define uh, the skill of a model uh, on a specific problem. Um, so, for example, you know, specific problems would be uh, text generation, I don't know, text summarization, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, tasks like that. So these models have started from 100 billion of those, okay, mm-hmm. which means that they're able to perform a, a, a huge amount of tasks, okay. And this is why they are so good. And this is why, you know, when we talk to them, when we, we, we get super excited. And I think that, you know, this uh, chat GPT-3 w- was really like a very important model, a moment in the, mm-hmm. in the history of natural language processing because it's made it super sexy in the eyes of the mm-hmm. public. People are going mm-hmm. crazy, right, about it. Yeah. You know, like, and I myself, so I, I don't think we should be using ChatGPT3 for that, but I myself yeah. tried it out for silly tasks like, you know, writing poetry. And, yeah. and it's good. It's so good, you know. And like I asked it, um, we had a, a good laugh with that. So my husband uh, is a like bike, you know, mechanic engineer. And so he mm-hmm. works on, in that field. And in the evening, he's all the time in the garage 
playing with bikes, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so I, uh, we were here together and I asked ChatGTP3, uh, can you please write a poem about my husband who spends a lot of hours in the garage playing with bikes? <laughs> and, you know, in, in seconds, we had this very long poem and it was oh, wow. super funny, really. And, mm-hmm. you know, like my, my husband, who's not in the field at all, like he couldn't believe his eyes. And he was yeah. like, but did you, did you prepare that in advance? I was like, no, I promise you, I've just written that just to have a laugh with yeah. you. So yeah, of course it's made, it's, it's made natural language processing unbelievably attractive for the public. Okay. Now I think that the public who are excited about chat GPT three, uh, four are going yeah. to be disappointed. Okay. Um, because it's not like now, you know, all of a sudden, so w- what we saw with ChatGPT3 was a, a, an unbelievable uh, advancement okay, in, in technology. Mm-hmm. But I think that only the people in the field will appreciate the changes that will be introduced with ChatGPT4, because it's not like all of a sudden, you know, it's going to start to walk alone or do run yeah. around or do crazy things. The <clears throat> The improvements are going to be big, but not exciting for the public. Because now, like, like imagine, maybe it will become slightly more good at writing poetry. Okay. okay. Are people even going to notice that it's slightly better, I... <laughs> you know? Um, so I think that there is a lot of excitement, but the public will be extremely disappointed in it. We know okay. very little about it, about ChatGPT4. Um, mm-hmm. There have been claims that the parameter count um, has been upped uh, to the region of 100 trillion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what was said. Now, um, if I remember correctly, uh, Sam Altman, who is the uh, CEO of OpenAI, so OpenAI is the you know company mm-hmm. behind um, GPT-3. Yeah. I think that he described the claim as, pardon my French, uh, complete bullshit. So, mm-hmm. so like very openly. So I don't think it is going. It's true. There are going. Mm-hmm. There are probably going to be more parameters, um, and but I think that I hope that what they are trying to do uh, is um, basically uh, to um, improve the efficiency of their algorithm, mm-hmm. and by improving the efficiency of the algorithm, they could be, they should be able to give us, you know, a, a technology that is easier to fine-tune and, mm-hmm. and less costly. Uh, because, you know, it's not easy to use it now because of the costs and everything. So if they manage to make it, you know, slightly quicker to train and, and less costly, we will, more and more companies will be able to use it, you know, Mm-hmm. for their own technology. So I think that that is the change. People are talking about, oh, there are going to be 100 trillion parameters. Uh, then mm-hmm. what, what I, I, I heard also they are expecting it to, um, to be trained on, trained on more data. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it will be the case because uh, Megatron, uh, which is the uh, large language model from NVIDIA, uh, is mm-hmm. uh, trained on substantially um, more data, but mm-hmm. it does not outperform ChatGPT3. So okay. it's not really about, I mean, we're talking about massive amounts of data, okay, right? We're not talking here mm-hmm. about is it trained on three texts or 11. Here is mm-hmm. the, the amounts, you know, the, the data that they are exposed to are massive in all cases. But when you mm-hmm. get to a certain point, what we want to do is improve the algorithm, you know, not really feed it more and more data. So I think mm-hmm. that probably, not certainly, there will be an upgrade um, because um, uh, ChatGPT3 has knowledge up to a certain point, which I think is mm-hmm. early 2022, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. So they mm-hmm. will, for sure, 
um, give ChatGPT4 access to, you know, newer uh, knowledge, mm-hmm. um, newest knowledge. But um, apart from that, I don't think that the public will see like a big improvement and nothing really exciting about it. Um, okay. Yeah. What, do, what, what, were you, what were you expecting? What do you hope you'll be able to do with it? I have like a, I like the technology. I think it's amazing. It is. I feel like it's it's great to very quickly summarize things or give you like first drafts. But on the other side of uh, the fence, mm-hmm. like just to be a devil's advocate, I think it's kind of limiting critical thinking skills for people. That's just my being someone who loves writing and who's creative and problem solving. I think if someone is just dependent on chat GPT to write kind of the first draft of their book, for example, mm-hmm. you're missing out on adding a lot of, or like going through that uh, process of ideation and going through, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, I, I mean, I personally have been using it to create cover letters mm-hmm. <laughs> when I'm applying yeah, for jobs sense. and just and just iterating them like so a bit personally mm-hmm. uh, afterwards. But I think it can like I cannot predict the future, but I feel knowing how currently already we rely so much on technology, nothing bad on it, uh, but it might. People might just completely be just use, for example, technologies like Chat, chat GPT or other large language models mm-hmm. to do things that they feel are very hard, mm-hmm. and they don't want to go through that hard phase of learning. Yeah, I see what you mean, and I, I understand your fear, but I don't quite agree with you. I think that you know okay. progress um, always comes with you know it's always a bit scary. It's exciting and yeah. scary at the same time. And, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to make a very silly comparison. I'm, I'm sure that when, you know, the, the switch between prehistory and history was, you know, writing. I'm sure that yeah. those people who lived that, you know, the elderly would think, oh, our youngsters won't be able to remember anything because now they write yeah. things down. We would keep yeah. everything in mind, you know. I know about everything. I don't need writing. Of course we mm-hmm. need writing because you're going to die at some point and your knowledge yeah. is going to die with you. You know what I mean? And so now we understand this example because, you know, we know, you know, how important writing was for us, for our knowledge, for, for everything. Yeah. And so I think that the fact that we're, we're a bit scared of ChatGPT and, and all of these technologies mm-hmm. because we don't know yet what we be, yeah. will be able to achieve with them, right? And mm-hmm. we are scared about a lot of things. And I understand people. I understand the people who tell me, oh, this is going to take our jobs, you know, for example. Mm-hmm. It is not. It's just that we have to be able to, we have to be open to change and we have to yeah. accept that change is inevitable. I mean, yep. if, you, if change doesn't happen, it's, it's a tragedy, right? We, we, we have to change. Things have to evolve. And we have to be open to evolve mm-hmm. ourselves and adapt, you know, to yeah. this new way of, of learning, new way of, you know, mm-hmm. writing and, and so on and so forth and working as well. So I just think that we, and I myself, don't know exactly what school would look like, for example, yeah. we know now but it is probably just going to enhance our performance and yep. you know if we live in a world um where what's important is not knowing about you know you know ancient egypt uh by heart but it yeah. is about knowing how to use those technologies mm-hmm. to um, retrieve information to do all sorts of tasks then probably it is important to start working with those, you know, starting from when you're very young, right? Mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, the way we will function will be different, but I don't think that it will impair us uh, mm-hmm. co- cognitively because, because, you know, we will, we will be doing things, you know, yeah. uh, just in a different way. So, so yeah. I think that I, I absolutely understand your fears, but I think that things will just change 
and become different, you know, and we're probably mm-hmm. at a point in history that's as important as when writing was was, was okay. invented, right? Because it's going mm-hmm. to change everything. It's going to be about, so like you write an essay, it's not about being able to write the essay yourself, you know, on the table in front of your teacher who's, you know, like policing you, making sure that you don't copy anything. It's going to be able to, it's going to be about being able to use that technology mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, uh, help that technology come mm-hmm. up with the best of essays. So it's just going to be a different type of mental exercise, really. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, there's nothing that I cannot disagree with there. So <laughs> I'm happy with that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, change is always kind of, it pushes you. I think if you let it and if you accept it, then it's much easier to go through it. Uh, it's still uncomfortable, but it still grows you a lot. And also, you know, I think that in this time and age, we don't have a choice, really. Uh, because look, as professionals, um, now we're still in this phase where we can say, oh, no, I code everything myself. I don't, I don't, I will yeah. never use ChatGPT. But you will. You absolutely yeah. will. Because, I mean, because in, in a couple of years, everyone will be doing some kind of, you know, guided programming with ChatGPT yeah. 3, which means that they will be able to code in three days what you take two months to code. Yeah. So yeah. if you do not accept the change, you're going you're going to lose your profession. So yeah. you know it's we, they, we're still in the phase where we can be snobs, you know. Oh, I code yeah. everything myself, and uh, <laughs> I myself have tried. I've just you know I have done a couple of silly poetry things with ChatGPT three just to be amazed, you know. And yeah. I tried to ask it to build an NLP pipeline for me, and it was like, yeah, well, that is you know it was just like a kind of skeleton, okay. But it yeah, made a lot of but, sense. I was very happy with it, but I'm not using it. But I will have yeah. to use it. I'm, I'm going to make another example, another comparison. My mother, whom I adore, has had a dishwasher for 12 years. To this day, we don't know if the dishwasher works because <laughs> she has never used it, okay? And, and you know, she's scared that it might broke, you know, the good dishes yeah. and things like that. And... I don't take much time anyway, you know, all sorts of excuses. She's resisting that change. And I keep telling her, yeah. like, it's the silliest thing I've ever seen, especially, you know, when she has guests, like yeah. loads of things to wash and she has to do it all herself. And, and, but that is the kind of, a lot of people behave like that in life. Okay. And mm-hmm. that kind of resistance to change is fine. You know, in, when within like your private life, you know, Mm-hmm. No one is going to run after her to take her job to wash yeah. dishes. Or, so she's all right. Yeah. She's just, I think, wasting time. But that is okay. Mm-hmm. But you cannot do that in in, yeah. in your profession, okay? In your profession, if you if you don't want to use the dishwasher, you will mm-hmm. uh, you will be out of work in a couple of years because it's just not yep. possible, you know. So we we yeah. will all have to use that. I really think that yeah. we're going to, we're moving towards guided coding or no coding at all you know because you can yeah. you can now they're not there yet but in a couple of years they will those technologies will be able to write like solid programs and we will probably be doing just quality checks you know little yep. testing little modifications or mm-hmm. we we will have to be able to give commands like using plain yeah. language and yeah. and the uh, like describe what we want properly and the machine will do it for us so that will be some kind of you know like guided coding so you you mm-hmm. won't have to code everything yourself you will just say things mm-hmm. like okay so open that file please now everything that's on column 3 make make a list out of it okay now you iterate through that list mm-hmm. and for every you know we will just use plain english or plain whatever language to to tell the computer what to do. So of course there will still be people who code, there will be niches, you know, and but but we will mm-hmm. have to adapt because when the the other company the other companies are able to write programs in three days, you can't take three months anymore 
So no. you just have I mean, you just have to accept just, that you need the technology, and you have to change the way you work. And that's you it. just have your otherwise you're gonna have a Kodak moment. So yeah, yeah, exactly. No, you have you, you, we cannot resist change. Those those who will will die in the profession because it's it's impossible. It's it's going to be very fast. And yeah. it's here, it's happening, and we just have to accept it, you know, and 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 yeah, and change the way we work. So there will be less coding, but we will be able to build technologies, applications fast, in a, way faster. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's just it's exciting in a different way. Yeah, it's just... it is exciting mm-hmm. for sure. Completely agree with you. Uh, Closing off our conversation, I have two questions for you. Yes. So one question is actually from the previous guest. So I've been asking guests to leave a question for the next guest. And one is uh, just because of your, uh, I think your kind of how you've changed in your life and how you moved through different countries, met so many different people. Until this day, what is what is your... Uh, how to frame this question properly. How do you see human beings, even though they're, I mean, you met so many different people, but do you see a lot of differences or do you see a lot of similarities? That, I think that is the question. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I've met a lot of people and I, I think that we are all different and all the same, you know, in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um I think that um, I think that what defines us is not really our culture, our religion, our experience. Mm-hmm. What defines us is what we want to be. Mm-hmm. I'm telling this because I'm, you know, I'm culturally, I'm culturally very European. You know, I was raised a Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I. I, I basically moved a lot but within Europe and so on and so forth and but I I think that there are things that I accepted and found you know like good in my upbringing and that I you know and I bring with me everywhere and there are things Mm -hmm. that I wanted to change and I managed to change and those are the things that make me and behavior and you know that make me um feel well everywhere I go and be respectful to other people Mm -hmm. and be able to interact with people regardless of their backgrounds, again, religion, culture, and whatever. So, Mm -hmm. so I think that we're, we can be all the same if we all, you know, like open our minds and hearts to this kind of Mm -hmm. thinking, you know, or we can all be, different if we want to stay in you know no like i'm i'm a catholic i have to marry a catholic you're a muslim you have to marry Mm -hmm. a muslim uh we don't we don't date out of our culture we don't Mm -hmm. we don't really even mix with people from other cultures and but that again is a is a way to resist progress and change Mm -hmm. the word is changing and we have to accept it right it's again like you know, we, you cannot tell. A lot of people are scared. You know, what will happen of our religions? What will happen to our yeah. cultures? You know, and that is it, it's normal. We are scared of progress, and you know, of this opening and mixing. What is going to happen? But you know, if if change didn't happen, we would still be living. You know, in Africa. Uh, and having, mm-hmm. you know, tools uh, that we built with wood and nothing yeah. more. But we, re- we we didn't resist change. And, you know, we were completely different culturally back then. And yeah, we were we completely different Africa. culturally a thousand years ago, 500 years ago. So, yeah. you know, and we and at every step of the way, we really liked where we were and we hated, mm-hmm. you know, what was happening, you know. And so it, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a common, it's just a normal way of functioning, right? And I think that mm-hmm. we don't have, it's normal to be scared, but we don't have to because now we're mixing, you know, we're mm-hmm. mixing cultures, we're mixing religions, we're mixing backgrounds, and it will give a product that we don't we don't know yet but it will be a good mm-hmm. one you know because we're going the right direction and we're just mm-hmm. going where we're meant to be going so i think that we're all 
the same. And I really think that those who think that human beings, you know, different human beings can be, you know, substantially different are those that are resisting the changes that are going on mm-hmm. in, in our world. And I really, truly believe that we shouldn't resist those because we are mm-hmm. just, you know, in a hundred years, the people people will be, will be having the same conversation as ourselves, being very happy with where they're at, which is what we're scared mm-hmm. of. And they will be scared of something new. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I think that once again, it's about accepting that the world and life changes and mm-hmm. and that it's completely normal. Amazing. Thank you for that answer. Yeah. And now for the final question, which was from the a guest before is what is the thing that you're going to try for the first time in your life this year and why? Well, I mean, the answer is very, I have two. So one okay. is I'm going to have my first job in industry, uh, yeah. which I'm very excited about. I'm, I'm actually starting at the beginning of April. And, you know, um, so that is going to be my first corporate experience. And yes, I'm thrilled. I cannot wait. And the second thing is that I'm going to buy a house, hopefully. And that will yeah. be my first one. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I think that is enough for a year. <laughs> yeah. I think those are great yeah. and big changes. I know. To look forward to. Exciting ones again. <laughs> yep. Well, thank you so much for taking your time. I think the conversation has been pretty much invaluable, at least for me and probably for the listeners as well. And I wish you all the best. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And I hope that we will stay in contact. <laughs> Bye. Musa. Yeah, we will. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>